May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You know, when I first started applying to universities, I was probably like a lot of college students and prospective college students. I thought the whole endeavor was going to be about learning and wisdom. College lingered out there about some, as something beyond the basics. And I couldn't really, frankly, wait to graduate from high school. But by the time I finally got to my freshman year, a reflexive skepticism had begun to take root in the country's universities and colleges that has taken on an even deeper hold in today's fields of higher education. And although there were notable exceptions, there were many educators, whatever their discipline, who were anxious to insist that the hallmark the hallmark of someone who is well-educated was a kind of world-weary despair of ever knowing anything. And this proved to be true even in seminaries, where, believe it or not, you were just as likely to meet a professor who would tell you that you couldn't believe in God as you were to find a professor who told you that you did. And inevitably, this attitude has bled out into the larger culture of our country. And with it goes a logic something like this. You can be well-read and intelligent, in which case you won't believe that you can know anything, or alternatively, you can believe in God, in which case you will probably be a bit dim, gullible, well-meaning, and maybe just a bit squishy. The inference, of course, is that Christians are by definition incapable of dealing with questions or uncertainties. Now, what is dangerously misleading about this logic is that the Christian faith is in fact open to questions open to inquiry, and open to some kinds of uncertainty. And historically, the church has been at the vanguard of learning, whether it involves the development of the scientific method, the founding of some of the most ancient of universities in the world, or in terms of the scholarship in multiple fields. As I noted some months ago, Christian scholars down through history have been at the leading edge of their disciplines, including some that you might not expect Christians to be the leaders. Botany, optics, the scientific method, astronomy, physics, the theory of relativity, genetic research, and the Big Bang Theory, just to name a few areas of inquiry. And believe it or not, Today's collect, that opening prayer, which I'd invite you to turn back to in your bulletins, is actually the basis for just that kind of inquiry and engagement. It reads, O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, 
increase and multiply upon me your mercy, that with you as my ruler and guide I may so pass through things temporal that I lose not things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now, it's a beautiful prayer. But the fact of the matter is, is that I'm sure it's packed with so many theological words that Christians rarely understand what this prayer means any longer. The words tumble over one another, strong, holy, mercy, ruler, guide, temporal, eternal. For most of us, I'm sure it sounds like stained glass language or really elegant word salad. But the key to understanding this prayer is the word holy. Our associations with the word holy usually go to the subject of purity or to sanctity. But its root meaning is actually to set aside, to set apart, to treat as unique or designated. And applied to God, it refers to the unique and all-important place that God plays and occupies in our life and in our faith. So, when the collect or the prayer affirms that without God nothing is strong, nothing is holy, the prayer is affirming that without God, without God, there is no center, no grounding, nothing reliable to depend upon. So, we pray that God will have that unique place in our lives because if God does not, then we are lost. We are without direction. We are without understanding. We are without hope. We are without connection to anything that is lasting. To put it another way, in less elegant language, what the collect is saying is something like this. Oh God, you keep me centered and grounded in what is. When I realize that you alone can explain why I am here and the purpose of my life, I am no longer distracted from the deeper and eternal purposes of my life by the passing circumstances that I experience. Now, the Christian faith is not just a body of ideas. It's an experience, it's a relationship with the living, resurrected Christ. But as is clear from this prayer, it is also an invitation into a life that is marked by ways of inquiry and living that are based upon an existence that we owe to God. And in turn, that fact about us, the fact that we are divinely created and have a divinely given purpose, has implications for the way that we live our life. It addresses questions of meaning and purpose. It offers us a way of making value judgments. It guides our behavior. It shapes our relationships. It helps us to make decisions about ethical questions. And the psalm that we read this morning 
not at all accidentally, has the same profound faith and suggests what the moral implications are. The psalm says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. All are corrupt and commit abominable acts. There is none who do any good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon us all to see if anyone who is wise, if there is anyone who seeks after God. And what the psalmist is saying is, is that the wise are by definition those who seek God in what they do. And everyone else, it declares, lives on a knife's edge. Agnostics and atheists may raise questions with a certain kind of unfettered freedom, but the questions that they cannot answer are the questions that matter the most. Why are we here? What is the purpose of our lives? Do our lives have any kind of enduring significance? Is there any hope for us beyond the grave? And in a world without God, there are no good answers to those questions. It's no surprise what the alternative to faith leads to. And it goes a long way to explaining why our culture is roiled by intense disagreement. It explains why truth seems to be endlessly malleable. And it is why people struggle for purpose and most of our leaders across the board struggle for moral grounding in their lives themselves. But what happens if we take the Christian path? What happens to critical inquiry? Are Christians people who go to church on Sundays and then park their brains for the rest of the week? Not at all. Jesus died to take away your sins, not your brain. And the questions that we're invited to make and to pursue are questions that are based upon the enduring conviction that our lives have meaning and purpose. So questions are not a threat to our faith. They are the vehicle by which we become more deeply acquainted with God, who is infinite, more deeply acquainted with God's creation, which is the product of God's mind, and more deeply acquainted with what God wants for us, which is limitless and rich in its potential. When we ask those questions, however, our purpose is very different from those who don't believe. According to the modern script, questions always make it impossible to have faith. Honest answers reveal that nothing is reliable, and the entire process leads to adult cynicism. But in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we are invited to raise those questions as people who long to understand where and how God is at work in the world. We may not always understand the world around us. The answers to questions that we want to ask may not always be available to us. But grounded in the goodness of God, we are confident that the answers we need will be forthcoming. 
And that's a very different and life-affirming approach to existence. It is faithful and yet capable of thinking rigorously. It's a place where the life of the mind and the life of the spirit are one. It is a place that rests in the confidence that in the foundation of the world is the love that is found in Jesus Christ, who is both our creator and our savior. And it is an approach that affirms the importance of learning, but longs to put that learning at the service of God and of God's world. Now, what difference should that make, however? Is that just an ideal that kind of floats out there in generalities? It's not. And let me suggest that there are three things that every Christian, whatever your age, can do. One, we ought to see our faith as an invitation to learn. And we should make a conscious effort to do it throughout our lives. We differ in our interests, and that's a good thing. But there is real joy to be found in learning about the world in which we have been placed. So first, give yourselves to a, a life of asking and answering questions. Two, we should avoid an approach to the Christian life that is narrow and defensive intellectually. Sadly, I've met some Christians whose understanding of their faith has narrowed their world and stunted their intellectual growth. Instead of seeing that choice as a faithful way to live, let me suggest to you that letting your life be stunted in that way is a fearful way to live and a waste of the good gifts that God has given us. Give yourselves to that kind of joyful exploration. And finally, rather than seeing life and learning as a burden, we ought to see learning as a spiritual discipline that is a valuable aid to living into the world and into the lives that God has given us. Every Christian who freely explores the world around themselves can sometimes lapse into thinking that what we know or learn and what we believe about God are two separate endeavors. But rightly understood, they are a part of the same journey. And our prayers, no less than our study, should be a place where we learn and we become a part of a single conversation with God about the world around us. So with those things in mind, let me close then with my own version of this morning's collect. Let us pray. Oh God, you keep me centered and grounded in what is. When I realize that you alone can explain why I am here and the purpose of my life, I am no longer distracted from the deeper and eternal purposes of my life or by the passing circumstances of the world around me. Lead me evermore into the truth because all truth is a window into you, your nature, and your will for me. Amen.